Hi, I'm Hannah Smay, host of the Wild Idaho podcast, coming to you from the Idaho Conservation League. The Idaho Conservation League is Idaho's leading voice for conservation, protecting the air you breathe, the water you drink, and the lands you love. Each month, the Wild Idaho podcast will explore a topic, current event, or issue related to Idaho's environment. Join us to learn about the work we're doing and how you can get involved. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wild Idaho podcast. This is Hannah, and I am happy to be here with Mitch Cutter, who is ICL's Salmon and Steelhead Advocacy Fellow. Mitch works on salmon and steelhead recovery, and I'm going to have Mitch go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Hey, everybody. My name is Mitch, like Hannah said, and I work for ICL as, uh, on the salmon issue, doing a lot with fish biology, energy, and transportation issues. So Mitch, will you share with our listeners what the goals are of ICL's Salmon and Steelhead Recovery Campaign? Sure. So this the goals of th- this campaign are really to restore wild salmon and steelhead here in Idaho to abundance. And abundance means making them both ecologically significant so they can regain their role as a keystone species here in Idaho and also economically significant so that people in Idaho and communities uh, around the state can enjoy these fish as once they did. As far as wild salmon and steelhead in Idaho go, um, all of them here in the state are listed under the Endangered Species Act currently. Um, And so we are, we and federal agencies are progressing and trying to recover those fish so they're not endangered or threatened anymore. But that's just one step along the way. ICL and a number of other organizations have all agreed that we want truly abundant fish, not just delisted ones. We want to make them significant for all Idahoans again. Once upon a time, more there were more than a million wild spring and summer Chinook that came back to Idaho every year. Um, and just as an example of the decline that we've seen uh, in 2019, there were just a few more than 4,000. Uh, and so that's you know less than half a percent of what previously returned to the state every year. And there's a lot of things that have contributed to that decline, but the most significant one is dams and hydroelectric dams that exist on the Columbia and on the Snake River that kill fish both directly and indirectly and block or impede their migration to and from the ocean. Um, Scientists all around the region have concluded that those dams are the primary factor in the decline of salmon and steelhead, and that breaching them would be really the cornerstone of any meaningful attempt at restoring abundance. And we're especially focusing on four dams that are on the lower Snake River, which is over in Washington. But all Snake River fish that return to Idaho have to pass through each of those four dams, in addition to four more that are on the Columbia River. And as part of this recovery campaign as an end goal, we want to make sure that all stakeholders are made whole by recovering these wild fish um, and then replacing the energy and transportation and irrigation services that those dams provide. Uh, Recovering the fish would not only give back a a pretty critical industry for a lot of Idaho's river towns like Riggins and Salmon, but it would also bring back a cultural foundation for our Native American tribes here here in the state. Great. Thank you, Mitch. That's really Helpful to hear and quiz time. What are the names of the four Lower Snake River dams? A pop quiz. I like this. All right. So the four Lower Snake River dams are Ice Harbor, Lower Monumental, Little Goose, and Lower Granite. Four out of four. (laughs) Good job. I knew you'd get that right. (laughs) Awesome. Well, my next question is, tell us what fish power means and, and how does fish power connect with what you were just 
telling us about, which are the overall efforts to recover Idaho salmon and steelhead to abundance. Fish Power is kind of a, I'll call it a, a program and a new program that's part of our part of this salmon and steelhead campaign. And Fish Power, as the name probably implies, is about the nexus that exists between salmon and steelhead uh, and energy here in Idaho and all across the Northwest. Um, and that nexus runs back a long way. Uh, there are uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of dams that exist here in the Northwest, um, several of which are owned by the federal government. Uh, many of them are owned by private companies as well, but there are 31 that are owned by the feds. And when we talk about the, the federal government here, I'm really referring to three agencies, and that's the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, which is obviously part of the Department of Defense, the Bureau of Reclamation and the Bonneville Power Administration. Now, the Corps of Engineers and Reclamation own and operate the dams themselves, but then all of the power that those dams produce is marketed and sold by the Bonneville Power Administration. And BPA sells it to a lot of customers, uh, all of which are these municipal or cooperative electric utilities. And Idaho has 26 of those. Uh, and so BPA sells its power to um, these co- these utilities in the state of Idaho. Uh, and then they, those cooperatives and utilities sell it to their customers at a set rate, at cost, um, because those utilities are owned by their own consumers. There's no, there's no profit involved there. Um, and so when we think of this nexus between fish and power, we really have these federal agencies and federal dams, of which the Lower Snake River dams are just four of, uh, that are critically affecting our salmon and steelhead here in Idaho, but are also part of this power system that provides power to Idaho and to the region at large. And so there's a connection there that we're trying to hit on. And can you give us a little sense of history with the Bonneville Power Administration or BPA and its involvement with the fish issue? That's a a tongue twister, Mitch. Maybe that's a challenge for our listeners to say (laughs) the words fish issue five times fast. If you can do that, then we'll send you a postcard for sure. Yeah, so going back to BPA, like I said, this is uh, this is a really long-standing connection and a long-standing issue here in the Northwest. So the Bonneville Power Administration dates all the way back to 1937. Actually, it was founded by Franklin Roosevelt as one of his sort of New Deal organizations. So think, you know, the, T- the Tennessee Valley Authority or TVA is another one of those. And the goal of BPA and a lot of these other organizations was to try to rescue the country from the Great Depression at the time and to try to in this case, electrify the rural Northwest using power from some big new dams that had just been built or were in the process of being built on the Columbia. And the two that were either done or in, in construction at the time were Grand Coulee, which is in central north central Washington, and Bonneville Dam, which is down near Portland, Oregon. Um, and BPA's goal was to take this massive amount of power that these dams were producing and essentially connect it to rural towns and rural places all across the Northwest. Um, These were little towns like Riggins and Salmon that were really in the middle of nowhere and had no chance of ever being connected to electricity unless the federal government, unless the federal government stepped in. Um, And BPA accomplished that really quickly. It totally electrified all of the rural Northwest and that enabled the economy here to develop pretty fast. Um, And that's all part of, again, this uh, Great Depression uh, recovery. And so all of these customers that BPA was connecting electricity to were these consumer-owned utilities, which are either a cooperative or a municipality, as as in a city that owns the utility, so someplace like Idaho Falls or Weezer, each of which own their own utilities. Um, And all of these customers are spread across, across the region, and they were all buying BPA power from the very start. And as BPA sort of evolved, uh, they went from just those two dams to now 31, 
and a nuclear plant over in Washington. And now they provide about 28% of all of the energy that's used in the region, which is the Pacific Northwest. BPA, as they were founded, is what's called a power marketing agency, and it's financially independent from the federal government. So they're selling this federal hydropower, but they don't get any money from Congress. They don't get an appropriation. They have some level of borrowing authority from the U.S. Treasury, but they have to pay that all back, and they have to make up all of their costs via the rates that they're charging on these customers of theirs, which, again, are these utilities all across the Northwest. If BPA is spending more money, if its costs go up, its rates have to go up as well. And we've seen that, obviously, in the last uh, 75 years since they were formed. Um, BPA pretty much provides all of the funding for the dams all across the Northwest. Even though they're owned by the Corps of Engineers and Reclamation, BPA pays for everything that happens at them. And that includes a really big fish and wildlife program. When salmon and steelhead were listed under the Endangered Species Act in the early 90s, Um, BPA took on a pretty big chunk of the mitigation costs for recovering those species. And since 1991, BPA has spent almost $17 billion on that program. And that it, it's just a fact that it hasn't recovered a single species of ESA listed fish in the region. So that's 17 billion with a B. 17 billion with a B. That's exactly right. Since 1991 or so? Since 1991. Exactly. Uh, Snake River Sockeye were one of the first salmonid species to be listed under the Endangered Species Act, and that was in 1991. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just to connect that back to Idaho, the Snake River sockeye are the fish that historically returned to Redfish Lake. Am I correct in that? Yep, that's exactly right. And Redfish Lake is itself named for uh, sockeye salmon. Sockeye turn red when they're getting ready to spawn, entirely red, and so that gives the entire lake its name. Great, yeah. So we got a history of BPA and their connection to Idaho's fish, but what is making these issues come to a head now? I think what's making this important now is that fish recovery, as it's being approached now, is clearly not working. Um, We have not seen increased returns here in Idaho, and we've actually seen decreases in the last several years. Uh, And that's due to a lot of factors, but the largest one is that we are not resolving this hydropower issue. And as BPA spends more and more money trying to recover salmon and steelhead in other ways, that's driving up electric rates as well. And so, like I said, whenever BPA's costs go up, their rates have to go up. And that has been one of the primary causes of why BPA's rates have gone up nearly 30% since 2008. And that 30% makes its way directly from BPA through your cooperative to the bill that you're paying every month. Um, so you too may have seen your le- your electricity rates go up nearly 30% in the last 10 or 12 years. Um, but fish recovery aside, there are really compelling reasons for why BPA itself as an agency is in trouble right now. Uh, and again, this is fish aside. These are just financial issues that are that are being posed to the agency. And those two, and I'll cover those two in order, that's debt and competition. Um BPA, like I said, has some authority to borrow money from the U.S. Treasury. They also have another series of debt, of complicated debt that I won't go into. Um, But altogether, that's nearly $15 billion worth of debt. And it's slowly coming up on its borrowing cap with the U.S. Treasury. Um, So it won't have the ability to borrow anymore. It also has this declining level of financial reserves as it's tried for the last 10 years to keep rates as low as it possibly can. Again, amid these rising costs from left and right, They've tried to keep rates low and been burning through cash as a result. Um, and so so much so that those reserves went to basically nothing in 2017. And since then, they've successfully and re- recovered some of those reserves by adding surcharges to rates. But that just charges the real prices of their electricity even higher, which, again, 
makes its way through their own customers, these utilities, on the way to everyday people who are, you know, residents of the, of the Northwest. In regard to those surcharges and the, some other plans that BPA has tried to, to, to implement to manage their debt, credit ratings agencies routinely take a look at federal agencies like BPA and other, and other companies, obviously, to assess what their financial strength is. And they really don't like these plans for BPA's debt management. Um, they've consistently given them pretty middling scores for the last few years and have routinely noted that they would be getting much worse ratings if BPA wasn't backed by the federal government. Um, that federal government backing makes it so the agency won't just fail overnight, but those ratings would be much worse if BPA were a private industry. Um, and then Moody's specifically says that these surcharges and other debt management plans only lessen the deterioration of BPA's credit and don't actually turn it around. So we're seeing this sort of slow slide that BPA has mitigated somewhat, but a slow slide into a poor financial condition. Um, and customers and others around the Northwest have noted that pretty heavily. So that's the debt issue that's presented to BPA right now. So that's the debt issue. But on the competitive side, BPA obviously tries to keep its rates as low as it possibly can. And something that used to help it out was selling a lot of its surplus electricity. So like I said, BPA has this portfolio of dams and other energy sources that it sells to its customers. But frequently it it generates way more than its customers here in the Northwest actually need. And so whatever surplus there is can be sold to others, whether they're some other utility in our region or somebody outside of it, whether it's in Canada or the Midwest or other parts of the country or specifically California. Um, until recently, a lot of that surplus was sold into California at a pretty high price because that state had more demand than its supply of generation was able to fulfill. And BPA was able to charge uh, a pretty high price for it. But because of this revolution that we've had around renewable energy lately, and a rapid build out of solar and wind down in California, that market prices in that market have really lowered. And so BPA is sell, still selling a lot of its electricity into California, but not nearly at the price that it used to be able to, to get for it. Sort of the flip side of that renewable energy coin has also led to a lot of benefits or could lead to a lot of benefits here. Um, it's cheap. Renewable energy is cheap and its prices continue to drop year over year. Uh, recently, Idaho Power, just as an example, signed a deal for energy from a solar plant near Jackpot for $21.75 per megawatt hour. And if you compare that to BPA's standard price, which is around $36 a megawatt hour, it's a real bargain. And that's not quite an apples to apples comparison between the two. But as those renewable energy prices continue to drop and as BPA rates are predicted to increase, the gap between those two gets bigger. And that's where some customers of BPA, some of these larger utilities, maybe on the west side of the Cascades over in Washington and Oregon, might look to build their own generation. And that's a big problem that economists are calling sort of a stampede to the exit for the agency. As these, as some of these larger customers may look to build their own solar farm or wind farm, that leaves a lot of BPA's costs, which stay stagnant, with the rest of the customers that have remained on the BPA system. Uh, and a lot of those utilities are over here in Idaho because our utilities are just frankly not as big as the ones in Washington and may just not have the ability to go out and build their and build their own generation like that. So Mitch, where in Idaho are these electric cooperatives located, right? Because where I live, I get my power from Idaho Power. And I know people up north get their power from Avista. And some people in southeastern Idaho get their power from Pacific War or Rocky Mountain Power. But these cooperatives are 
outside of those three major utility providers, right? And so where are these cooperatives located? Yeah, that's a great question. Again, when these cooperatives were formed as BPA customers from the start, they were sort of meant to be in rural areas. Um, And so that's where you see them still today. So while Idaho Power and Avista and Rocky Mountain Power over in eastern Idaho sort of cover big urban centers and still a lot of rural places as well, these cooperatives and municipal utilities sort of exist uh, outside of those boundaries and inhabit their own, you know, their own cities or their own sort of rural areas. And so and so there's several in eastern Idaho, a couple in central and a couple up in northern Idaho for a grand total of 26. Um, and those 26 utilities are responsible for about 16 mm, percent of Idaho's total inter- electricity consumption. So it sounds like these um, electric co-ops for short, I guess, um, serve mostly rural areas. Um, and some of the names are, can you just like list a few of the ones that are prominent in Idaho? If I think about a municipal utility, I think Idaho Falls Power is a great example. So it's owned by the city itself and run by the city council. Um, some other ones could be like the city of Weezer has its own. Uh, or if we move into the cooperative realm, again, a lot of these are rural cooperatives. So something like the the Salmon River Rural Electric Cooperative, which is based kind of up in the Chalice area, but serves a lot of the, the Pasimaroy region and a lot of that central Idaho territory, um, or the Fall River Rural Electric Cooperative, which is sort of based in the Teton Valley and serves a lot of that area as well. Um, those are utilities that we're kind of specifically targeting right now, actually, as places where we think this information about fish power is going to be really powerful for the members and customers of those utilities. And so what can people in Idaho who are customers of these electric co-ops, what can they do? What kind of power do they have? And what do you want listeners who are customers of these electric co-ops? What do you want them to walk away from this podcast with? Sure. So the first thing I'll say is that the structure of a cooperative or a municipal utility means that it is owned by its customers or its members, or in the case of a city, I guess the the citizens of that place um, who all buy electricity from this one utility. Um, and so that business, that entity is yours if you are a member. It is You are a part owner uh, of, of that whole system. And so you have the power to elect board members, you can propose resolutions or other decisions, and you can let your utility, either via the board that you elected or its staff, know what you want. Um, you have that power. And at this moment in time, it's pretty pivotal for a lot of these utilities. Uh, Current contracts for all of the BPA customers, not just those in Idaho, but across the region, are going to expire in 2028. And those contracts are what lock those utilities now into buying BPA power. This is what some other utilities might be looking to get out of as they search for new sources of generation. Um, A huge cost sink for BPA right now, as we've discussed, are these lower Snake River dams. Any meaningful attempt at recovering salmon and steelhead here in Idaho starts with breaching the lower Snake River dams. We think about these dams as an anchor that is holding BPA back from being the competitive entity that it wants to be. And so it's really time for consumers and thus their utilities that they're members of to speak up, not just for fish in this regard, but also for affordable, clean energy. And we can do that and bring fish back to abundance here in Idaho. Um, We can have both of those things. Sort of on a, on a second note, if your utility, if you're listening to this podcast and your utility is not a BPA customer, you, you're not a member of one of these co-ops or municipalities, uh, and you want to do more, 
there is something more you can do, which is you can comment to the governor's salmon work group. Now that work group has been meeting for about a year and a half now, and they're just about done with their process. Their goal is to try to recommend a whole suite of actions that can be taken by the Idaho, by, by the state of Idaho to recover salmon and steelhead. And public comments are still being accepted at the next couple of meetings of that group. Uh, and so, and they can, and, the, and they can only help Governor Little realize how important this issue is to Idaho citizens. Great, Mitch. Thank you. And we will link in the description of this podcast, both a webpage on ICL's website, where you can get connected to your electric utility board of directors and make a difference in that capacity. And we will also link to information about how to comment at the Idaho Governor's Salmon Work Group um, and give you the dates and the information for the next couple of meetings. Like we said at the beginning, this fish power program is just one piece of the puzzle. And so can you give me and our listeners a sense of how fish power fits into ICL's vision for the future of Idaho's economies, communities, and environments um, in relation to recovering salmon and steelhead? Yeah. So like I said at the start, our goal is to make all communities whole via system-wide change in our relationship to the Columbia and Snake Rivers. Um, Our vision for Idaho is abundant salmon and a just, sustainable, and prosperous future for all communities and all stakeholders who who are involved in this issue. And within fish power, obviously, energy is a crucial part of that. And we want to keep power affordable and reliable, and there's no reason that we can't do that and restore salmon and steelhead to abundance. Um, But dams on the Lower Snake River impact more than just the energy picture. Ecologically speaking, salmon are a keystone species in the Northwest. It's been said that the Northwest is wherever the salmon go. And there are dozens of other species in Idaho and around the region that depend on salmon returning annually in abundance. And so for ecologies alone, this is an important issue. But we're pushing for a broad package of changes that address, again, all of the stakeholders that are affected by breaching the Lower Snake River dams. So One thing that the dams provide is a transportation channel, a navigation channel for barges to take mostly wheat and other and other agricultural products from Idaho and eastern Washington down the river to ports out at Portland and on the Pacific coast. If the dams were breached, that channel would no longer be accessible. And so as part of this suite, we need to make sure that uh, we're properly investing in railroads and other grain storage and transportation infrastructure to facilitate uh, economical and and reliable transportation of grains downriver to so they can be exported um, to keep farm communities whole. There are also a, a subset of farmers within the state of Washington that depend on reservoirs behind the dams for irrigation purposes, and we need to make modifications to their systems so they can continue to operate while and after the dams are being breached. Um, Within Idaho, we have river towns and communities that have been periodically shut down because of low fish returns over the last few years. Recovering these fish to abundance will bring life back to those communities eventually, but that might take time before we get wild runs to the state of abundance that we want and that those communities need. So we need to continue operating hatchery programs until they're hopefully no longer necessary because we have so many wild fish coming back every year. And then finally, Tribal communities have probably taken the biggest hit from all of the changes that we've made to the river system. They've never been whole after having their fishing rights and many other rights taken away. Um, And so salmon recovery is just a part of repairing those harms, but it's a significant part because these fish are so foundational to their culture. So again, 
we're really trying to make all parties whole because not everybody is whole right now. The system is not working the way it should, and we can make it work better. That's so inspiring, Mitch. Thank you for sharing um, your vision, ICL's vision for uh, the future of abundant fish and affordable, clean energy for the Pacific Northwest and for Idaho. Like I said, we're going to link in the description of this episode the opportunities for taking action around Idaho's fish and clean energy. And so you'll find a link to our webpage where you can get connected to Idaho's electric co-ops. And you also will find information about future opportunities to comment at the Idaho Governor's Salmon Work Group. So please take a look at those links and help us to recover salmon and steelhead to abundance in our wonderful state. Thank you, Mitch, so much for joining, for giving us such a deep dive into the landscape of Pacific Northwest energy and the future for Idaho's fish. Thanks, everyone. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Wild Idaho podcast. And we'll see you next time.